Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is John Cappadona. John is the Chief Financial Officer for School of Rock. He comes to School of Rock with extensive experience building and leading high-performing finance teams in a range of industries. John oversees the financial activities of the organization, directs the preparation of current financial reports and summaries, and creates forecasts predicting future growth. Prior to joining School of Rock, he was the Vice President of Finance at Sentient Jet, a leading private aviation company, where he was responsible for the accounting and finance function. Before that, John was the Director of Financial Planning and Analysis at the W.B. Mason Company, where he built the function. He has also held key financial positions at Olympus, Boston Scientific, and several additional established companies. John received his BA in finance from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and his MBA from the F.W. Olin School of Business at Babson College. John's favorite musical artist is Bruce Springsteen. John, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you, Megan. Glad to be here. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about planning for the future. The conditions we're living in these days make it exceptionally difficult to do. But with the right team and tools, it can still be done well. And it's obviously a critical component of success. So, John, I'm looking forward to your advice. But first, let's learn a bit about you. Okay, sounds good. Okay, let's start with your career journey and how it is that you got to your current position. Sure. Um, so I started off, uh, really, I came up through the FP&A um, side of things. Uh, started off as a you know, financial analyst um, for a number of years, worked my way up through that um, in a few different companies, was in uh, you know, hardware, software, computers, I guess you'd say. Um, then moved over to medical device, uh, was actually over in, um, you know, uh, consumer product distribution, and then ultimately found my way over to uh, to School of Rock. So, you know, um, again, really coming up through the FP&A side um, until my last role, uh, which I was at a company called Sentient Jet, uh, which is private aviation. Uh, where I took over both accounting and uh, FP&A, and then ultimately uh, to here. So it was a uh, it was a a long journey, but uh, but I got here. And um, how I ended up in my current role was a former CFO of mine uh, that worked at uh, WB Mason, where I was uh, for five years. Uh, had a colleague that was you know looking to be or was taking over School of Rock as the CEO, uh, was moving the company to the Boston area and was looking for, um, you know, somebody that he could recommend that he thought would be a good fit. He gave my name, we hit it off, and the rest is history. That was four years ago. And so here I am. Yeah. So is was your undergrad in finance or accounting? It was. Okay. It was. It was finance. So, you know, the, the funny thing is I, I had started off wanting to be accounting, liked accounting, uh, until I got to managerial accounting. And <laughs> so then boring. I didn't like it, <laughs> which is funny because I actually do 
managerial accounting. I mean, (laughs) you know, that's pretty much been my my life is management reporting. And it was so much more than that. But when you got into, you know, direct labor, cost, overhead and all that stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how they managed to make it so boring in those books. Yeah. (laughs) Can't you just tell me what the standard cost is and I'll just move from there? That was, uh, you know, but but again, it, you know, the funny thing is, while I was at Boston Scientific, I was uh, I was in their uh, FP&A group for their operations team, which again was all managerial. It was all cost accounting, everything. I mean, I, I, you know, work with people that were creating standards for you know manufacturing products, and I loved it. I'm actually <laughs> sitting there going, oh my god. So, anyways, just. Uh, you know, a lesson for you kids out there, stick with the accounting and get your CPA. So. Yeah, funny how things work out. That's right. So as you look back on your career, are there any particular stories that stand out in your mind as turning points? Um. Yeah, so, you know, again, where, where we talk about um, being a CFO. Um, so for me, I never really thought I could be a CFO. Um, for the the reasoning be because I I didn't have the accounting, I didn't have the CPA, yeah, I didn't have the credentials, and as I was coming up, it it was not as important. But but in then in two thousand and three, when Enron happened, and then you start getting into Sarbanes Oxley, and the the market really turned towards they they put a value on people having a CPA and that. Um, so once that happened, I said, oh, geez, that, that's pretty much the end of it for me. So I'll, you know, I'll be a, a VP of FP&A or something like that, but probably wouldn't get the whole thing. And then when I went to WB Mason, my, uh, the guy uh, who had recommended me to School of Rock, he was actually came up through the same, you know, uh, stovepipe that I did, he came up through FP&A and he was the CFO. And I was like, wow, I guess that can happen. And so it was at that point that I, you know, sort of realized, you know, I, I, I know enough about accounting. I'm not an accountant, but I know enough about accounting to, you know, between right and wrong and, and what needs to be done and anything that I don't know. Fortunately, we have, a, you know, audit partners that we can you know, rely on. So at that point, it was more of understanding that you need to surround yourself with people that can do the functional disciplines. Yeah. And really the CFO is more about being strategic and and being the business partner and that as less it's the debits and credits are definitely part of it, but it's not the whole job. It's actually the stuff that I was doing before is the more valuable piece. Not not to say that, you know, the rest of the debits and credits isn't valuable, but at the CFO level, you're not, they're not looking to you to make sure the journal entries, you're doing the journal entries correctly and that they're looking to you to be more than that. So that's, that was sort of the revelation to me. Yeah. It seems more and more common these days that people are getting to the CFO role through a non-traditional path. Yeah. Again, you know, you know, and it's not to diminish the, the skill set of the accounting side. Again, it, it is the foundation of 
the company in terms of, of uh, you know, reporting and everything we do from finance side starts with the accounting and, and it has to be done right, obviously. Um, but it just, it's, there is more to it being a financial person and being a CFO than just doing the accounting. So that's, and, and again, that's how, you know, I've, my whole career was business partnering. My whole career was being embedded in a business, in a business unit, getting to understand how they operated, being the person that would advise, but also, you know, help, you know, forecast scenario plan and see, you know, how we might be able to grow the business. And that's, you know, those skills are, you know, definitely transferable as you go um, up the ladder, so to speak. Yep. So let's talk a bit about your current organization, School sure. of Rock, and, and what it is that they do. So School of Rock is a performance-based music education business. Um, we are worldwide. So we currently have 301 locations. Uh, we just we opened up our 300th last year. Um, and so we operate primarily in the US. However, we also have uh, operations in Brazil, Chile, Peru, Colombia, uh, the Philippines, Mexico, Canada, Australia, Spain, Taiwan. I think I got all the markets. I left someone out. I apologize. We're going to be opening up in Portugal and Ireland this year. Wow. So um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and what we do, you know, our whole uh, experience is, you know, learning music through songs. So it's our whole approach is a song first. So we're, you know, performance-based music education, which is, if you think about it, you know, I had young girls uh, and they took dance lessons. And when you would, you know, when you would enroll them, they would practice and then they would have a recital at the end. This is the same thing. It's, you get in, um, you uh, learn, you know, that you you take classes. So our product is offering a uh, class. So you get a lesson one time a week, and then you are put into a band and you have a rehearsal one time a week. So with working towards being in an end of season show and getting up on stage. So it's it's great for kids, not only that want, and I say kids, it's of all ages. We have adults as well as, uh, as well as young folks, um, you know, toddlers, that stuff. But the whole premise of it is learning through song to get up on stage. And it not only, you know, teaches you music, but it teaches you life lessons too, in terms of, you know, how to work with a team, how to overcome, you know, fear of yep. being on stage, uh, et cetera, the whole, you know, gambit of things. And, you know, we really learned this, you know, much during the pandemic um, when there wasn't a whole heck of a lot for folks to do. And this was really a lifeline um, to many of our, our students to, uh, to have this out there. So that's who we are. Uh, we have almost 50,000 students um, worldwide. So, and we are a franchise business, but we, we do corporately own 45 schools, but the rest are franchised. 
And is it voice and instruments? Oh, yeah. So our primary, so if you think about it, it's really, you know, a, a rock band. So the instruments are guitar, bass, keyboards, uh, drums, and then vocals. Those are the, those are the primary um, components. We have a patented method. So we actually filed for a patent and received a patent from the uh, USPTO around the School of Rock method that, you know, integrates in songs with parts. So be it guitar, um, bass, vocal, whatever, and links those to shows based on a student's ability. Um, we have a method app that we use. So again, uh, for students to be able to um, follow along, it actually, when you when you play at home, uh, you can practice and the app will tell you, um, you know, how, how you're doing. Are you playing the parts right? Where do you have to improve? Things like that. So these are all investments that we've made uh, over the last couple of years to really um, bolster the product. Yeah, I think I caught a show um, not too long ago. Well, it was probably a few years ago now, though. Um, at a, it was a local sports bar, but I do remember it was like the culmination of their learning, and they were all up on stage, and it was awesome. Like they were killing it. Oh, it, Megan, it's it's amazing. You know, one of the things again, I'm not a musician. I wish. I always say this. A lot of people say this. A lot of people say this. They say, geez, I wish this was around when I was a kid. And I do too. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to play the drums. And they handed me a snare drum, one drum. And then they handed me a book and they said, all right, go practice. And practicing meant hitting the drums, hitting the drum with notes. Now, my parents were very happy because it meant that there was not a set in the house <laughs> you know, smashing around. I, of course, was not. Um, and so, you know, when you, but when you see these kids and you look at them and you're like, oh my God, you know, they just, the, the ability that these kids have and then the confidence that they have, yeah. it's amazing. And then, you know, you talk about it. So if you, um, so what you, you see up on stage is we've got a, you know, a season ending show. That, that everybody participates in. But then within each um, location, they have what they call as a house band. So if you think about it, and I'll use a sports analogy. So the house band is considered sort of the, the all-star group of a particular location. So you have to try out for house band, and then they will go out and play uh, gigs, uh, you know, probably once or twice a month uh, throughout the season. Uh, and then we have, this is the uh, culmination of the School of Rock experience is School of Rock All-Stars. And the School of Rock All-Stars are the best of the best from all of our locations worldwide. And what we do is we uh, form anywhere from six to eight bands, um, and they effectively pay, play rock star for a week to 10 days. And wow. we set up a tour in varying parts of the country. Um, so for instance, a few years ago, I actually attended one of these tours and they started off in Houston and they made their way up through Texas, up into ultimately ending at in Chicago 
and playing a stage in Lollapalooza, you know, a stage, you know, one of the stages up there. But, you know, the, these kids will play venues like Red Rocks. They'll play whiskey in L.A. They'll play. I mean, it's it's amazing. Wow. And then these kids play. It's, um, it, it, you know, and you can even if you go out on our website and you look at, you know, we, we um, will also um, bring these kids into recording studio and, you know, allow them to experience that as well as, um, you know, we'll film the video uh, of them recording a song and seeing these kids with this. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. What a cool experience. Absolutely. So as you look back on the last four years that you've spent with School of Rock, what are your proudest achievements with them? Um, so, you know, for me, I'll, I'll actually, I'll answer this in two parts because I think there's proudest achievements as a company. Um, and then there's proudest achievements for me personally. So as a company, um, I'm really proud of the fact that we've been able to grow like we have. So four years ago, I came in, we were at just about, we were just at 200 schools and we were probably at about 25,000 students. So now, you know, four years later, after a pandemic, um, we are at the 300 schools and we're at almost 50,000 students. And just in terms of, you know, really, um, spreading our mission um, and being that lifeline and that safe space for so many of our students out there. I think just being part of that and being a dad um, is really, really um, warming to me. It's, it's, it's great. You know, I love the mission. So I'm really proud that we've been able to sort of expand our mission. Uh, that's so as as a as a company, so me personally, this is my first CFO role. And, you know, for me, it's been I'm really proud that I've been able to get myself out of the mindset of having to do everything and more into the mindset of being that strategic partner um, you know, to, to use the, the, um, Italian term, the consigliere, let's call it to, uh, our CF CEO. Um, that is really, I'm, I'm proud of that because it, it was difficult. It's, it's difficult when you get into that role for the first time. And it actually took a, you know, conversation with my CEO that said, listen, I know you can do all these spreadsheets. I know you can do everything. It's not what I hired you to do. I hired you to be my CFO. I didn't hire you to do all that. And that was, you know, moving from sort of a doer to a, you know, a conductor, yeah. let's say. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that I was able to get there. It's tough, but yeah. yeah. I'm sure it is. That first role as a CFO has got to be a tough transition. It is. It, it really is. And especially for, you know, in this <clears throat> in this role where we literally moved everything from wherever it was back to the Boston area. So we had to recruit a new team. We had to, you know, learn systems. We had to understand processes. We had to, you know, put in our new processes. So there, there was a lot of stuff to uh, to do, but uh, very, very uh, 
very rewarding. So back when the pandemic first began, like any business, School of Rock felt the impact. But with insights from modeling from your FP&A team, you guys managed to roll out a virtual program in just 12 days. So talk to me about what went into making that happen. Yeah. So um, I would love to take the credit that our modeling <laughs> drove that, um, but it was a fairly easy uh, equation to look at. Again, Megan, as I talked about before, our whole premise, everything that we did was all about being in person. It's in person. You got to get in the school. That's how you're going to get um, you, you know, exposed to the product. That's how you're going to feel the vibe and all of that. And then, you know, literally as the world started melting down, we, we knew that we would be in trouble. I mean, yeah. I, I say this all the time, but by rights, Megan, you and I shouldn't be talking and I shouldn't be the CFO of School of Rock. We should, we should have been out of business. Um, yeah, that we must've been terrifying. <laughs> it, it was. So it went from, and I'll, and I'll never forget this. So it went from, you know, in February of 2020, when we started seeing, you know, the data coming in, the management team, you know, got together with said, okay, how are we going to address this to a cursory conversation that I had with the CEO, literally the end of February, probably first couple of days of March saying, hey, what do you think? Should we be looking at remote? And we're like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And then our IT team pretty much took the ball and ran with it. I mean, those are the guys that are the heroes in this. They, they were able to set up um, our remote scheme through Zoom, like I said, like you just mentioned, in a matter of days, uh, and get it, uh, get it rolled out. Now, what I will tell you was due to the investments that we made in our method app um, the year before and our curriculum, um, you know, really putting some structure around our curriculum is what made that work. So had we not made those investments in 2018 and 2019, what we ended up with in 2020 just wouldn't have worked. And so being able to put that all together using Zoom, setting up all the rooms, uh, doing everything. I mean, it was it was an operational, you know, uh, it was operationally complex that these guys pulled it off and yeah, literally saved the company. So, you know, we were able to in the season, you know, again, remember at that time, we didn't know. So all of our schools went remote uh, for about two months, uh, let's say April and May, and then slowly in June, people started to open up a little bit. But, you know, this is something that actually will be part of our world going forward. So School of Rock Online, which is what we now call it, is now part of our product offering. Again, our, our, um, our product is still in person. However, what it's done is it's allowed us to maintain students that you know, um, may, may not want to give uh, the full performance program. They're, you know, they're going away for the summer, really, where this you know, helped us was the summertime. Uh, you know, usually you lose a bunch of students at that point. Um, and then we were able to uh, keep those kids and, in, in, you know, stop enrollment from decreasing too much. So it's just 
it's amazing with your back up against the wall, what you're able to come up with so quickly. So yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm sure that must have also opened up some markets that were previously closed, yeah. like people no, that were too far away to find a school or no. Yeah, Megan, that's exactly right. I mean, we did, we have found that some people from remote areas were able to, you know, join in and take lessons. I'll, I'll give you a prime example. So my, really where this, where this is sort of worked out is even on the adult side. So if you think about an adult program where you've got to be, you know, it's the same program, lesson once a week, and then performance, or even taking lessons, but then you have people that travel. This now, my CEO, you know, Rob Price is, is a perfect um, uh, example of this. He takes his guitar lessons from an instructor in Glen Ellen, Illinois, and he lives in Nashville. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So it's it, it's just so it, yeah. So you're able to open it up, and and I wouldn't say that we get a lot, but what happens is it certainly casts a wider net. Uh, for us. And then that helps us with our franchise development. Because if we, you know, see if there's markets in there, if we've got people that we are um, customers that we are, um, that are in the program that are in a market, obviously, when we open up there through a franchise, we give those people to the franchisee. So talk to me a little bit about scenario planning and, and what successful scenario planning and forecasting, what that process looks like. Um, well, I will tell you that it never <laughs> manifested itself more than it did in 2020. Um, we were scenario planning. My director of FP&A um, was proud, you know, we, we literally planned every month. It was, you know, we, we used to collect sales data once a week. We would, you know, look at that. We, we were very, we were, I wouldn't say we were crude, but we certainly were not as, uh, as, as well oiled as we are now. And then once, uh, the pandemic hit, we began, you know, Daily sales was was uh, immediate because we needed to look at see you know what enrollment was looking like, what um, you know revenue et cetera, and then we were doing forecasts monthly, um, and then really monitoring um, how we were performing. Now, you know when we first did our uh, our scenario planning when when the pandemic hit, we ran three scenarios. You know, you have a, a good, a likely, and a worst case. And I think that was very important for us to understand what the, let's call it the guide rails uh, that we had to play within, that we knew, you know, varying things. If this happened, then this will likely happen. Fortunately, um, we were able to stay. Um, actually, we, we came in more along the lines of our best scenario. Uh, than we did our disaster scenario. Um, so, but it was very important for us to keep modeling that because yeah. this was driving decision making completely. You know, if we were flying blind and not knowing what was going on, we couldn't make decisions quickly to um, 
you know, address certain market conditions, make investments. You know, that was the other thing. So towards the, you know, as everybody did, we shut off investments. Um, you know, it's, we just preserve cash. Um, and we were able to, at the end of the year, knowing that we were not going to hit um, the disaster scenario, we were able to open the spigot up again and start making some more investments based on our forecasting. So again, very, very helpful uh, for us to be able to see uh, what, you know, various scenarios and what the world looked like so we could take steps to um, accelerate out of the pandemic. And that was really our mindset was when to hit the gas and how much. So what what important questions should CFOs be considering when, when they're looking to plan for their future? Um, again, you know, what we do and we're part of is, is really you need a strategic plan. I, I think that is the, that is the main ingredient that you need for the future. And so for us, we've had a strategic plan for the last four years and we knew various milestones that we want to be at, you know, be it revenue, enrollment, uh, profitability. Um, and so when, when, when we do that, obviously, um, when you look far out in the future, you come up with a number, or you come up with a scenario that you want to be at. But in many, many cases, if you look at the existing business, you need other things to be able to fill in some of the gaps in order to get there. So I think that's the most important question that we need to be asking as CFOs that says, okay, if we believe that we want to be this size of a company in 2025, whatever, you know, and based on our run rate, we're not going to get there. What are we going to do to fill that? What can we do? Should we be looking at acquisition? Should we be looking at, you know, other investments that might, you know, yield some return, uh, things like that? I think those are the important questions that we as CFOs need to be standing, you know, at the front of the ship looking out. Because if, if that's the target, our, our job is to help the company get there and, you know, map and guide the operation in order to fulfill our objectives. And with so much these days that's up in the air, uh, how do you prepare for what you don't know? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, we say that all the time. And I, I, you know, I think, and you and I were talking about this before we came on was sort of the pandemic fatigue of and for us, we, I, I hate to sound, uh, I guess, callous or whatever, but we look at it now and say, listen, this is, you know, what, what can happen is awful, but it can't be any worse than what we just went through. And we, we were able to survive that. <laughs> so that gives us the confidence that we're going to be able to uh, survive going forward forward but really the biggest thing that we we look at is indecision we we have to make a decision quickly we use the data we make an informed decision based on the best data that we have at the time if situation changes and i say this all the time to everybody 
the one thing I'll tell you with our scenario planning, with our budget, with our forecast is it's wrong. It's by definition, it's wrong. Yeah. It is what we thought the world was going to be like at a particular time when we did it. As soon as we hit save, assumptions change. So we need to adjust. You need to be able to adjust based on how those assumptions are going to change. And then if you start something and it's not working out, then just fail quick and move on. Um, and that's one of the things that we really uh, strive to do at School of Rock is we will we'll try things. And if it doesn't work out, we'll pivot. And, you know, you know, again, it's you have to you have to balance that. You don't want to be knee jerk and start stop and all of that. But, you know, the one thing that's nice is because we are a franchise and corporate owned school business, we can use our corporate schools as a test lab. Yeah. So we're able to test out certain ideas within our corporate schools. And then if we see that they work, we can roll them out to the greater um, system or community uh, without causing much pain uh, to, to the rest of the world. So I think that's, the, that, that's how we look at it. Yeah, I guess it's important to remember that it's an iterative, an iterative process. I'm sure some people get paralyzed with fear of like, what does the future hold and not knowing? And uh, it's important right. to make the decision, like you said. That's right. That's right. So you know, we can stop. We can stop spending, Megan. I mean, again, if it's if God forbid the world, you know, went back to what it was, which I really don't think. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think the lockdowns and, and all of that, you know, I don't think we'd go back to exactly what we were, but we know, we know through our modeling, through everything, what our, what we can immediately stop spending on to preserve cash. We know that we can go out and, you know, get more, um, get more uh, debt if we need to, uh, et cetera. So th those are the things that you just need to have a playbook of, these are various levers you can pull based on varying scenarios. And you mentioned this a bit ago, um, putting some technologies into place that helped you get through 2020. But what what are the tools and technologies that you're using right now that are are helping to make things better or or your life easier? So um, so from from a let's talk talk the financial side, the finance side, our our GL is NetSuite. So we've used NetSuite. We've been a NetSuite user for almost, you know, about 10 years, even longer than that. Wow. And um, and we, I will say that, um, you know, it, a system like that doing what we did, not necessarily even in the pandemic, but even before that, where when I started, we had... 20 corporate owned schools and we went to 40 um, within the within 2018. And managing the business as a franchisor is different than managing the business as a, a corporation, meaning managing the schools. We do all the accounting for the corporate schools, everything um, goes, you know, my team does that. So, you know, without a system you know, like a NetSuite or something like that, you know, if we were managing our business on a QuickBooks or something like that, that would have, uh, that would have made life very challenging. We, we just wouldn't have been able to do it. So NetSuite, you know, 
is is what we use and it has you know all of our numbers and the nice thing is like i said we've been for 10 years we've got data that goes back to you know 2011 uh it's amazing uh, not that we the work the, our company is much different from mm-hmm. back then but we could use that so um and then you know we use adaptive uh in or i guess it's work they adaptive now uh for uh reporting uh to give out the financial results to our uh, management team and our in our gms um and then you know so really between those two uh and then concur we'll use that for um expense management and approvals and that so those are those are really the the primary tools that we use to make our lives easier, as you say. And we touched on this a bit, but with the CFO transitioning to become the right-hand man or the right hand of the CEO, what advice would you give to CFOs out there who are looking to help their companies drive strategic value to grow revenue and improve margin? Again, and I think I heard one of your prior guests say this, uh, Megan, but it's it's understanding the the business itself and really understanding the KPIs that move the business. What are the things that are important? What are the things that are not as important? And doing that. So for us, you know, we are primarily. Um, you know, it's it's a variable cost business. So, you know, it's it. So for us, we know that if we drive top line, that that's going to have benefit, that's going to have the best benefit on the bottom line. So, you know, and we know which, you know, we can move that through pricing or we can move that through more students, combination of both. So for CFOs, I think they need to understand what makes their business tick and what makes their business move. Because if they don't, then they could be advising or chasing after the wrong things that aren't going to, you know, have yield the result that they're looking for. Again, you know, resources are, are precious, especially right now for us and, and many companies out there. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have we don't have a lot of people with time. We don't have, you know, and, and capital is always uh, precious, but, you know, both human and actual money. So if we're going to deploy our human capital, we want to deploy them on the projects that are going to be meaningful and move the dial for the business. And if you don't know what those are, you're going to waste time, you're going to waste money, and you're going to burn people out. Yeah, so important within finance and accounting that you spend time getting closer to operations at some point in your career. Yeah, and and Megan, that was one of the things, again, for me, I and I I actually like that part of the job is I don't want to be the person that sits in the corner that just, you know, comes up with, you know, hey, you're spending too much here or we're not doing this here. It's I, if you don't know why the business does what it does and how it does what it does, th- then you're you're doing yourself and your company a disservice. Um, and that's how you become a strategic partner. Is when when you know I've seen it. I've seen I've been in organizations where finance is not viewed that way, finance and accounting, and they just go around them. And 
that's not how I ever wanted to play. So I think that's, that's the advice I have. So lastly, as a CFO, what is keeping you up at night right now? Oh, well, um, for us, you know, particularly in the, in the school, in, in our, in our, uh, world, it's really the late labor. Um, you know, everybody, the biggest issue we're facing right now is, is the availability of labor. Um, because again, for us, it's one thing to come in and, um, you know, acquire new students and sign them up for programs and that at the end of the day, we need to deliver on that service. (laughs) And if we don't have enough people to deliver on that service, then that can cap our top line growth. Yeah. So that's really the biggest um, issue that I'm that that I think for for our company right now is uh, it, we just you know recruiting talent, um, recruiting people to join the mission. We we've, we've we've got a massive push, you know, across the board. I mean, you know, in all disciplines, not only you know, teachers and, and music directors and managers and et cetera. So, you know, if you know anybody, Megan, that wants, to, you know, wants to, wants to come work for School of Rock, we'd we'll love to take them. But that, that, that's the big thing for me. Yeah. I can't imagine you're alone there. I, I think many corporations across the country right now are struggling with where to find talent. I mean, you look at restaurants and they're operating at like a fraction of their capacity because there's just nobody working. Yep. That's exactly right. And when you're somebody, when you're a business that's driven on, you know, top line in, in providing services, that's a, that's a big thing. It's, we don't, we we sell a service. We don't we don't sell a our product is a service. Yeah. So if we don't have people to deliver on that, then we don't have product to sell. John, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Megan. Glad yeah, to be here. I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences and all of the resulting insights. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. And I wish you and School of Rock continued success. Thank you, Megan. Appreciate it. To all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Persona. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.